Welcome to the Marketing Stare Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges in the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ catch up with Mackenzie Bauer, co-founder and chief marketing officer at Thread Wallets. She ponders the momentum that comes with feeling like every year is quote unquote, the beginning. She also discusses the power of influencer marketing, random celebrity endorsement, as well as the moves the company made to ensure that no one was laid off. AJ is in suspense and Vincent misses a phone call. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It's another episode of The Marketing Stir. I, of course, am your host, Vincent Petrofessa, the Vice President of B2B Products here at Starista. Happy to be here. Who is Starista? I'm going to tell you. Starista, we are an identity marketing company. We help customers take in their first party data, enrich it, enhance it, model it, Go after new customers. Who doesn't want new customers, especially now? We help you with that. Email marketing, display. We have our own DSP, Adster. Email me, vincent at starista.com. That is how confident I am that we can help you. Enough about that. That's enough of paying the bills. I always wanted to say that. I hear big radio hosts always say that. But anyway, so great to be here with me as always. You know, I always say I'm riding shotgun to him. He is our CEO and founder, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. I'm in a little bit of a suspense. I was trying to call you earlier to see how the quarter is ending, but I'll find out by tomorrow. You will find out by tomorrow. I know. Always, you know, quarter end is always fun. And you always love those calls from the CEO. I hope it's going to end really well. We've got a lot of nice clients and opportunities in the air. So let's hope. We'll have to wait on that. We, it is the quarter. We don't want to say which quarter it is because we don't know when this is coming out. So we want to leave you <laughs> in some suspense, right? Oh, speaking of suspense, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We have another amazing guest. I love this company that she started, co-founded, along with her husband, Colby. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd love to welcome to the Marketing Stir the co-founder and CMO of Thread Wallets. That's right, Thread Wallets is here. Ladies and gentlemen, Mackenzie Bauer. What's going on, Mackenzie? Hey, not much. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, this is fun. I know, we're, we're happy to have you. Just, you know, past the 40,000 mark of listeners to this great podcast that AJ and I started back in March, we're happy to uh, have those, have the people calling in and letting us know how happy they are with the podcast. Mackenzie, welcome. For those of you who don't know Thread Wallets, tell us a little bit about the company, and I'd love to hear about your role within the organization. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, my husband and I started Thread Wallets together back in 2015. We started dating in 2014, at the very beginning of 2014, which is when we kind of came up with the idea together. My husband had lost his wallet and was searching for a new wallet. And when he went to Google, all he could find were big, boring men's bifold wallets, kind of like your George Costanza <laughs> wallet, throwing a little Seinfeld reference in there. And that's not what he wanted. He was carrying around a student ID, a driver's license, and 
his credit card. So he didn't need a lot. So he ended up just throwing a rubber band around his wallet. And simultaneously, when we started dating, we were kind of talking about business ideas, things that we wanted to do. He threw out this idea of making in essence, a better rubber band, a more stylish rubber band for your wallet. And Mm -hmm. I helped him sew the uh, initial prototypes in my childhood bedroom. So that first year, that was 2014. It was just kind of a bunch of testing, just kind of like a side little thing that we would do together, had a little website, would get like a couple sales a month, maybe. And then at the end of 2014, we were done with school. We were both kind of thinking, okay, what do we want to do with our life? And we thought, why don't we just jump full-time into this wallet idea, see where it takes us. If it goes somewhere within the next six months, then we'll keep pushing it. If it's not, then we'll pivot. So beginning of 2015, we established an LLC, officially set up a website. We launched a Kickstarter campaign for our products. We did a lot in that first year and um, finished the year out at about 144,000 dollars which was really cool or profitable it was just us and so we thought this is it like we're gonna keep going so I kind of fell into the marketing channel aspect of things I um which is really interesting because I studied peace building in college so I studied international conflict and mediation and I think what drew me to marketing was just the storytelling and the community building that was something that we've talked a lot in my studies at school and so I think I just kind of fell into that and then my husband kind of fell into the CEO operational side of things pretty early on and we've been bringing on team members since then we're at about 22 employees now we're based out of Provo Utah so a lot of fun things happening and a lot of fun things that have happened over the past five years five six years That is exciting. And, you know, I think that's the first, AJ, where we always ask the background question, like why marketing? You know, you explain why the company, uh, some of peace studies. Is that a first at uh, the marketing stair, AJ? Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Conflict management. I love it. I love it. That's, yeah. uh, yeah. And then the marketing aspect. Did you, because did you work jobs in marketing before? No, I hadn't. So with my degree, I had graduated and I taught online school for a little bit, just classes through my university. And then I had always like been a nanny and babysat, but I'd never done anything marketing related. So it just took a lot of educating myself, listening to podcasts, reading books, articles. Um, I spent a lot of time on Instagram and I still do just on social media, understanding trends in the industry, what other businesses are posting, how they work with influencers, um, how they advertise, all of that. So pretty much self-taught when it comes to marketing, which is has been really fun, but also kind of daunting because there's still a lot that I don't know. And that uh, has there been kind of a point where you felt, wow, the company has really made it and we're going to be successful? Uh, you know, that is a really interesting question. I I was just talking to my husband, Colby, about this the other day. We tend to have business conversations quite frequently. And it's interesting because a lot of people will ask the opposite of that question. Like, was, it, was there ever a moment where you felt like it wasn't going to work out or that it was going to fail? And to be honest, I think we just took everything, especially in the first year, so 
like day by day that we never really gave ourselves the time to think about it failing. It was just like, okay, we got to make today work. We got to make today work. And now with a team, it's like, okay, we got to make this month work. We got to make this year work. Like there's a lot more of a broad vision, but I still don't feel like we've made it. Like there's been some really cool um, moments. We just were came in at number four, 104 on the Inc. 5000. So that was really cool. Um, even hiring a team, like building out our team has been really cool. But I find myself telling my husband all the time, like we're just getting started. Like I feel like every year we're like, oh, this year we're just laying the foundation. And then the next year it's like, yeah, this year we're just laying the foundation. And so I don't know. I don't really have a answer to that question other than I just feel like we're still just at the beginning. Like there's still so much ahead of thread and I don't know when I'll feel like we've made it. Maybe when we can buy a house or something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 104 is great. We don't even mention our rank. We just say Inc. 5000. Yeah, so. we, we are on it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of, uh, how did you manage to fund your business? How did you, did you take an investor in? Did you put your own money into the business? Yeah, good question. We've done three Kickstarter campaigns since the beginning. So mostly that and then just dumping money back from the business back into the business. At the beginning, we didn't take a high salary. We still don't take a high salary. We try to keep things as lean as possible. Um, we're self-funded we've never taken on any outside capital which has been really freeing for us we're not tied to anyone financially we have of course have taken out like loans if we need to to for like purchase orders but those we're able to pay back pretty darn quickly because our inventory turnover rate is really good so um yeah but we're yeah we've just pretty much pushed it all by ourselves maybe a little help from family and friends like when we my husband and I had our first baby my dad helped us get into an office because he was like you can't be working out of the child's like nursery room like you need to have the office out of the house so that was really helpful but yeah for the most part everything's just been self-funded through the business itself and Mackenzie talk to me about the start there was kind of at farmers markets right you were setting up the booth farmers markets and then tell me about those early days of the farmers market and then talk to me about when when it started to move in the upward trajectory yeah that is a really good question so i think early on for any company and we still do things like this on occasion events and stuff but we did a lot of farmers markets and pop-up shops and that's where we first started seeing validation for our, for our product and hearing feedback from customers and understanding what they wanted to see, what designs they like. There came a tipping point where we would spend, because a lot of these farmer's markets or pop-up shops, whatever you do, there's like an entry fee for them. So it's like, you have to pay to get in and then we would make money on top of that. But there came a point where we were making more, significantly more in a day online than we were at these pop-up shops. And there were a lot of work to, Say at them, you know, some of the farmers markets are like eight hours a day. Sometimes they're like two or three day events. These little pop up shops. So by the end of it, it was like, okay, that was really cool. We made fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, but it took a lot of work to do it, and we made double that online in one day. So that's when we kind of decided, like, we need to just take all our energy and our effort 
and put it online because we can reach more people, we're making more money, and focus less on these little pop-up shops or farmer's markets. So that's kind of when we saw the tipping point where it was like when we realized that we could do more online than we could at these pop-up shops is when we kind of moved, transitioned over to be more online than anything else. And now are you still kind of, do you ever return to your roots, you know, kind of just do some pop-up shops? Is there, is it all online or is there some retail aspect uh, as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have our, uh, the majority of our sales come from online, which includes our website and then Amazon. And we also are in about 600 wholesale retail locations nationwide. So that's um, surf shops, boutiques just little stores, mom and pop shops. There's some uh, locations that might have like 26 or retail stores that might have 26 locations, 30 locations. So that's really fun. And then we also have our own retail. So here at our office, we have our own little kind of pop-up shop at the front of our office. And then we also just this past summer opened up a kiosk at a local mall up in Salt Lake City. So we're hoping to roll those out more in the next year. So 2021, I think you'll see more kiosks popping up in California, Texas, Arizona, probably. And so I feel like those kind of keep us to our roots. They're kind of that in-person experience built out where we have people um, making personal connections with the customers, getting feedback. And then of course, I mean, 2020 has thrown us all curveballs curve and we haven't done as many events as we normally would. But our events have kind of shift from, shifted from farmer's markets or small little pop-up shops around like Christmas time or something to more um, events that are geared towards the target, our target demographic. So the do tour, we looked into going to Coachella, things like that. So the, the pop-ups are speaking directly to our audience and our consumer as opposed to doing like Pinner's conference, which is for moms or something, you know. So there's been a shift there, but we still we still do love to take the time to meet with our customers and interact with them on a personal basis whenever we have the opportunity. Can they tell us a little bit more about, you know, what online channels you're using for marketing since that seems like the biggest part of your growth? Yeah, that's a great question too. So right now we rely heavily on Facebook, Facebook, Google, like I said, we sell on Amazon. We, use email marketing, we use SMS um, with Attentive. So we use Klaviyo for email, Attentive for SMS. And we're also advertising with Facebook on Instagram. We do a little on TikTok, we've dabbled with Pinterest. So there's pretty much um, a lot, of, not any social media platform, but a lot of the social media platforms you'll find us running ads through those channels. Yeah, TikTok might be illegal by the time this podcast comes out. So, you know, know. <laughs> that we just don't know. That one's like every, I feel like every week on the top of my to-do list is figure out TikTok and then something <laughs> new happens. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to hold off on that one because who knows what's happening. Yeah. And how do you, what kind of target audience do you go after when you're uh, advertising on Facebook? Are you selecting audiences? Yeah, yep. So we do a handful of things. We retarget um, existing customers. Obviously, retargeting is huge for us. We use lists that we've built out in Klaviyo to import them into Facebook to target. So 
we do like predictive purchasing through Clavio to say like, oh, these people are predicted to purchase within the next month, and then we can target them on Facebook. Um, we do a lot of, you know, cold, with, if you look at the marketing funnel, we target cold, warm, and hot, but the, it varies based on like seasonality and campaigns that we're running, who is reacting to the, um, each campaign differently. Um, I'm trying to think what other answers I could give to your question. But we just, yeah, we, I mean, anyone, our, our core, our core demographic is like 16 to 24 year old females who are very aspirational, West Coast living, um, in college or just graduated high school and are moving into college. So lower income because they're still in school or they're just graduating. So Typically, that's who we're tar targeting. Females tend to be our like number one heavy hitter when it comes to marketing. Males aren't as receptive to our product, which I think is because women are way more into a buying, but accessories and expression and fashion trends. So, and then we have our um, target demographics, which are like male surfers, skaters, um, anyone kind of in that outdoorsy, active lifestyle, and then the opposite, which is targeting more females in those areas. So we're kind of always looking at ways to um, target those groups of people more efficiently. And a lot of that comes, like I said, with um, understanding our customers through Clavio and using those analytics, SMS. It's kind of, you have to look at everything really holistically. And, and also 42 year old New Yorkers, male, because I love your <laughs> products as well. And, uh, you know, but, and isn't it, like you said, a lot of the, the contacts or, or the targets there are, are, you know, young females. When a lot of the yeah. idea came from your husband's wallet, yes. uh, not your husband yeah, at the really time, true. but his wallet out there, uh, yeah. you know, kind of happening. But talk to me about that because, you know, what's been new uh, from the original wallets that people know and love? You know, have, has there been any new products coming out, a, a shift in the line or an addition to the yeah. line? Yep, totally. So we launched with our flagship product in 2014, 2015, which was just the elastic band. And it's always had a little hook on it so you can attach your keys to it. But what we were noticing in the early days is that people would hook their wallets to a lanyard or a wrist, like a wrist keychain. So we were thinking, okay, well, if people are using these boring lanyards that they got from their junk drawer from a convention their parents went to or a school fundraiser or something, like we want to be the ones that are providing the lanyards for them. So we introduced lanyards that in 2016 and they've just killed it ever since they're a really great complementary product to our core product which is the elastic wallets and then we've also tried to um create and bring more diversity to the wallet um, category in terms of targeting offering products that will um attract the male audience as well as the female so leather wallets really slim bifolds um phone case wallets so a, wall, a phone case that has a little elastic band on the back that you can stick your cards in. And then we've just really tried to be in tune with the needs of our customers. So this past year we introduced basically like a really miniature elastic wallet for your chapstick because everyone was using, sticking their, if you know, if you go onto our Instagram or our website and you look at the elastic wallet, you're understanding what, you'll understand what I'm saying, but people would stick the chapstick holder underneath the sleeve of the elastics. We're like, we should provide chapstick holders for them. 
So we've done that and that's done really well. And then we recently just launched a cross body bag, which is a complimentary product to our other products as well. We're, we're really going, um, our goal is to become the all, like all things carry brand. So bags, backpacks, you name it in the future, I think you'll see us rolling those out, but we're still going to maintain our niche of wallets and wallet accessories because no one's really touching that or trying to bring expression and functionality to that industry that hadn't really, or that category that hadn't really been touched for a long time. Yeah, I agree. And, and your price points are affordable, and, yeah. you know, high quality products, affordable. And you're right about the, the chapstick. I always, I, my chapstick's in my pocket. Now my son takes it, just throws it and I have to buy, mm-hmm. you know, 38 new chapsticks. Oh yeah. And, uh, I'll have and, to get you a chapstick holder because you'll never lose a chapstick again. That'd be, that would be great. So, you know, you were mentioned Instagram, you mentioned social. Is there been as influencer marketing been something that you've toyed with or has, you know, there been, you know, sometimes organically, you know, like a celebrity or someone or influencer to just wear your stuff and promote it. Has any of that happened? Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Simone Biles. She's an Olympian, a gold medal. Yes. Olympian athlete with the U S gymnastic team. And she's so awesome. And I remember a really cool moment. This was probably three years ago. I don't follow her. I'm not like a gymnast, so I don't have any reason to be like engaging with her on social media, but a friend of ours. So my brother-in-law had a friend who told him, screenshotted a picture of Simone taking a selfie in the mirror and she was using one of our products. And that was so cool. Cause it was like, I didn't reach out to her. I didn't tell her to buy our product. I didn't like send her any in the hopes that she'd post she just did she just you know we go online and she'd order from us and so there's been several moments like that where it's like oh that's really cool that person just bought because they saw an ad or they saw a product somewhere else and they really enjoyed it um but yeah influencer marketing besides just random people picking it up and posting about it which is really awesome has been a really big part of our brand building since the since the early days. I'm, we feel really fortunate because we got onto Instagram fairly early. So we were on Instagram as Fred Wallace in 2014, which Instagram had only been around for four years at that point, around four years. So influencer marketing wasn't what it is now. It wasn't as saturated. It wasn't as expensive. It was easier to get in touch with people because their followings weren't as big. So we really utilized that a lot in the early days and a strategy that we've really stuck with ever since is trying to understand that everyone has influence, no matter if they have 5,000 followers or 500,000 followers. Um, so using both micro and macro influencers to help spread the, spread the love. And what we've really tried to do um, alongside paying influencers to promote our product is reaching out to people and trying to build a relationship of trust before you're like saying, Hey, and then can we pay you to post? But Hey, we would love to send you some products for you and your friends, no strings attached. We just love your crew and would love to hook you up. And then, you know, we send it out to them. And the next thing you know, we see a few of our products showing up in their pictures. And then it makes it easier to send a follow-up email a few weeks later, a month later, like, Hey, We've noticed you've been using the product. We would love to work with you on a paid campaign. Like, what are your thoughts? So we really tried to kind of um, balance the both, um, balance paid and 
more organic and natural, just, you know, seeding product to an influencer before asking them to post. But both of those things tend to be really great drivers for brand awareness. I don't think, I think a lot of people get discouraged if they look at influencer marketing strictly from a revenue standpoint, because sometimes it doesn't work in the ways that you want it in terms of bringing in revenue. You, it just depends on the influencer and their audience and how much they're pushing products and how receptive their audience is to things. But it's a really great touch point for, um, for brands. And I'm sure that someone else has mentioned this on your podcast, but there's a statistic that I've heard over and over again in marketing is that it takes about seven touch points with a brand before a consumer feels like they're confident in buying from them. And so we treat influencer marketing as one of those touch points. It's not the end all. It's not what's going to convert them to purchase right then and there. But if they see an ad, they get an email, they see an influencer post about it, they hear a friend talk about it, they see it in the store they're soon going to make the decision that this is a credible product and I can purchase it from Thread Wallet. So that's kind of what we've treated it, but it's a great, a great way to bring in revenue and drive brand, brand awareness. Hey, that's great. I'm still trying to learn how to use Instagram. So you guys are. Oh, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's, <laughs> it's ever changing. It's an ever changing platform. Yeah. I feel like I'm old using Facebook these days. So. <laughs> well, Facebook still works. So. Yep. 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 Uh, so how's been kind of the Corona situation affected your business and production and all those things? Yeah. Well, who would have ever thought 2020 would look the way it has? I, I am like, it's still kind of like forever ago, but you know, the end of 20 January or December 31st, 2019, it's like, yes, like 2020, let's go new decade. We got this. And then for our business, at least about a month in, we do all our production over in China and they got hit with it really early on. So this is like end of January, beginning of February for them. They have their Chinese new year, which is basically like everyone in the country just takes a hiatus for like two weeks. So you have to plan around everything with that, with business and ordering and production. So we'd plan for that. And then we get emails from our factory saying like, Hey, because of the coronavirus, we're extending another week. And then a week later, we're extending another week, like factories aren't going to be back up until this week. So it wasn't until like end of March, April, some of them even until like May that weren't fully up and running yet. And so we really saw some negative impacts there. And then also in May, we started to see negative impacts where Amazon removed prime shipping from our products because we're not an essential good. We got that back fairly early, but those were two really big things that impacted us as well as the 600 stores that were in nationwide stopped buying overnight because they all had to shut down. So we've seen a lot of effects of coronavirus, but we're also really grateful because our product is like you mentioned earlier, Vincent, it's really affordable. It's something that it's kind of an impulse purchase. Our average order value is around like $34. So whether you're making a lot of money or a little bit of money, it's still something that seems affordable and something that you can use to freshen your wardrobe up or if you want a little change. So I think that despite the pandemic, people were still online and they were on their phones and they were seeing ads. And so those those actually worked really well for us throughout the summer. And um, moving into the holidays, we're looking forward to a really good Q4. But it has been an interesting year and we've definitely seen some negative impacts as well as some positive things from it too, you know, people being on their phones more, people 
um, spending more time on their computers, um, all of that. So it's, it's been interesting. Yeah, I know for our own business, in spite of uh, having kind of a rough April and May, because we have a heavy retail client, uh, we are actually looking forward to the uh, next iPhone launch. We do a lot of work with telecom companies. So it's oh, cool. So kind of a good side effect of pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So how do you vision your business if, uh, you know, you had unlimited resources? What would you like to kind of build out? Do you want to be a world dominant business? You have certain aspirations. We'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Our goal is to be the go-to brand for all things carry. So that's kind of our mission and what drives the decisions we make is that when people think wallets, bags, accessories that have to do with carrying items. So whether that might be camera straps or um, the lanyards that you carry your keys on, we want um, people to come to us. And what we've seen work is finding these kind of boring products that nobody was really touching and then making them really expressive and functional. So the lanyards, the chapstick holders, the wallets. Um, and so that's kind of our goal. That's, we really would love to build a really influential lifestyle brand. So someone that, a brand that gives back to the community and build the community of like-minded individuals who are freedom chasers and who are driven by creative creativity and entrepreneurship and passion. So I, I mean, if you, if you could put like the end all goal out there, we would love to follow the footsteps of brands like Stamp Socks, Vans, Shoes, um, Skull Candy Headphones, brands that have been around for a long time and have really made a difference in the industry they're playing in. And Mackenzie, these are some of the questions we like to ask is kind of like looks back on, you know, the career so far, such a young career, you're very young. And, you know, what has been a, you know, a shining moment that you could look back on thus far in your career? And then what mm. advice would you give thus far if you can go back? One of those kind of questions, those yeah. deep questions oh, those that are... we hit you with at the marketing. No, stir. I love them. I love those <laughs> deep questions. So um, there's been a handful of events that have really kind of made an impact on me as a, as a professional and then just as a human, if we're talking about like kind of these deep questions. Um, there's been, I mean, every person that we've hired, I feel like we've hired for a certain reason and we're really grateful that they're on our team and we owe so much to our team. But there are certain individuals on our team that, um were really big milestones for us like getting production off of our hands or so hiring our COO or bringing our creative director on so that it wasn't just us developing the brand anymore and there were certain hires that were just really cool because it was like wow this person had crazy opportunity elsewhere at big agencies or other businesses that were willing to pay them more, but they chose to work for us and give us a chance. Those were, those have been really cool moments, like very pivotal, just as a leader and as a founder of a company being like, wow, someone was willing to take a chance on us. Um, that's really cool. Another couple moments uh, that have been really cool are the Utah startup scene and the Utah business scene are just booming. They 
here in Utah, I don't know if it's as widely known throughout the United States, but they call it the Silicon Slope because there's so many huge tech companies moving over to Utah. It's cheaper. The cost of living is more affordable. There's really great networking. So you've got companies like Qualtrics, Vivint, these really big companies that are out of Utah now. And we have come in back in, I think it was 2018, we came in at the on a list of the top 10 startups to watch in Utah Valley, which is really, there's a lot of really big companies here. So that was really humbling. We came in at number three. And then the following year, we came at um, number four of fastest growing. So that and like milestones such as getting on the Inc. 5000, those have all been really cool because like I said, it still feels like we're just beginning and it still feels like we have so much to do. So those are very humbling awards to receive because it feels cool as, you know, it's just, I still feel like it's just me and my husband sometime. And so mm-hmm. seeing this recognition is really cool. Um, looking back, something that I would do differently, something that we tell a lot of entrepreneurs is to try to delegate what you can as early as possible so that you can focus what you're the best at. So for instance, my husband and I held on to fulfillment and production for far too long. And we spent so much time there that the organization of the business, the structure of the business, the marketing of the business sometimes suffered. And so things that you can get off your plate that are fairly inexpensive um, early on, like finding a good bookkeeper, things like that, we would recommend anybody just find ways to get certain hats off of your, you know, your list, your list of things that you're, you have to do. So you don't have to wear as many hats and you can focus on what you do really well at. And I know that that's not the case. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, at the beginning, you have to wear a hundred different hats, but if you can try to take off a few of those hats and delegate so that you're capable of focusing on the things that you really excel at and want to excel at. And I like that. And then one other part to that, uh, my, my uh, other question to that is, has there been anything that has surprised you throughout the process? You're like, wait, the cost of thread is what? Or like, is it, you know, the cost of something? Is it uh, the way certain things uh, happen during business? Talk to me about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I... I would say probably one of the most surprising things the past couple of years for us has been launching that chapstick holder. It was such a simple product to launch and it's a low price point item. It's um, $10 and it has just moved mountains for us. And we launched it and we were like, oh, it'll probably do well. But we ordered so slim on it because we were like, it'll do well, but we don't know how well. And I mean, we sold out within like 24 hours. Wow. And So then we were like, okay, now we need to order more. And then because of COVID, things kind of got pushed back and it took a few months and then we launched again and they sold out again. And now we've kind of figured out ordering and inventory a little bit better with that product. But it has been a great product um, as an upsell to kind of finish off the set of your Threadwallet product. You can get your lanyard, your wallet, your chapstick holder, have everything right there. And I think what I want to sum up with this is that in business, I think, and with marketing in general, I think a lot of times we think that like we have to play so big that we have to swing for the fences and hit a home run. We look at these big companies who have done big things and we compare ourselves, but sometimes it's the littlest things that make a huge difference. So that chapstick holder, just by launching that has really helped increase our AOV, which when you're getting thousands of orders a week, you know, 
um, hundreds of thousands of orders a year, that $2 increase in AOV makes a significant difference, although it might not seem like it right up front. So um, just, yeah, that was really surprising and kind of blew our whole team away, um, the success of such a small item. And so I would tell anyone starting a business, like try to, you know, you don't, don't swing for the fences. Don't try to hit a home run and get like, just go blow this thing out of the water first try. Like just try to do like the small subtle things that are going to make big changes over time. Mackenzie, do your husband and you set kind of yearly revenue goals? How do you guys kind of look ahead for say next year? Yeah, yeah. So we sit down with our team at the beginning of the year, our executive team, and go over strategy and goals for the year. And then we revisit those goals very frequently throughout the whole year and revise them. So for instance, with COVID, our goals were different at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of 2020. And it was like, yeah, we're going to crush it. And then as soon as COVID hit, we had to revisit those things and we've had to restructure some stuff. We're still doing great. We're still on pace to hit our goals or surpass them. But of course there's been reevaluating our priorities and where are we going to be like for a long time, like we're still in good right now, but for a while it was like our number one priority is not having to lay off anybody. Like we're not going to lay off anyone. So that's like, we're going to do whatever we can to cut costs other places. Like executives will take a lower salary if we have to. So there's always been revisions and there's room for that. But yes, my husband and I are always talking goals and strategies. And we have a brand book that we've given each of our employees. And when they come on, we onboard them with this book. And on one of the back pages where you can see, like, I think on the very back, so when you flip it over, it's our goals and what we're going to accomplish, goals for 2020. And so everyone can know that those are the benchmarks that we want to hit and everyone has the same goal in mind and we revisit those really frequently with the team and with each other. That's great. And then, you know, what are some of the software that your business uses that you've become dependent on or even some of the smaller companies that you might uh, utilize that uh, you, our listeners may not know about? Yeah, of course. We use, I've mentioned them already, but we use Clavio for email marketing we use Attentive for SMS marketing, which SMS is just blowing up right now. It's such a great platform to be on if you're not already on it. Um, a software that we love that helps us with personalization on site is called Nosto, N-O-S-T-O. And we love Nosto, it's so great. Um, another software we recommend is Avalara and it helps with taxes. Um, a lot of people don't know that when you're starting a business, um, this was a law that recently changed, but I think maybe in 2018, that um, if you have physical nexus within a location, so if you sell more than X amount in a certain location, then you have to be paying sales tax in all these different locations. So Avalara is really great. So for instance, like when we started, we just accounted for Utah sales tax. But this law now has made it so that wherever you have physical nexus, you need to be paying sales tax okay. for that state. And so the Avalara really helps automate that and um, make sure that you're doing everything is accounted for in regards to your taxes with these state individual states. Uh, that's that's good advice because a lot of people listen to this podcast who are in marketing and or in sales and production and we always like to get a list of you know software that could help them and so we appreciate yeah. that yeah, so 
Mackenzie, a couple questions uh, we, we love asking. This is our signature question here at the Marketing Stir, and it involves LinkedIn. It involves okay. LinkedIn. You're a co-founder. You're a CMO. People must reach out to you all the time on LinkedIn. Yeah. Tell us a message from someone that gets Mackenzie Bauer to say, accept, I'll talk to you, and tell me your LinkedIn marketing pet peeve. Oh, that's, I think my LinkedIn marketing pet peeve is probably the same as everybody's LinkedIn marketing pet you, peeve. You'd be surprised, let me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get bombarded with messages. I mean, I think right now in my inbox on LinkedIn, I have like 15 plus messages and getting pitched software. And one of my biggest pet peeves, I actually don't be, I don't mind being pitched something because in some in instances like Attentive, which is who we use for SMS, they pitched me, I think via LinkedIn. And then mm -hmm. they emailed me. And at first I was like, yeah, it's just another pitch, but I gave them a shot and it's really helped our business. So I don't mind being pitched things. My thing is that I, I love when it's personal. So when you know our brand, I've had a couple people reach out. Um, there's a guy named Dylan. He's with an agency, an email agency in, um, oh gosh, I want to say New York, but he is from a company. He owns a small email agency called Wavebreak, and his email stood up to me, his first cold call via LinkedIn, because he was like, hey, he made a video, and it was like, I have a wallet. Like, I've purchased a wallet from you. I love your wallet. Before I even knew that it was like you that was head of this, I've been using this for months. Those always like mean something to me because I'm like, they know my brand. I've gotten so many messages where it's like, hey, Mackenzie, do you run ads on social media? And it's like, go look. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's so easy to see. You, you market your products? It's like, yes, I'm a yes. CMO. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think that I, I responded to a message either yesterday or today pretty much that where I said, I would advise you to do your research on a company before you reach out to them because yep. it's an immediate no if they are just, they ask a question like, hey, are you, do you do email marketing? And I'm like, go to our website and see the pop-up and like, yeah. look at, get our, start getting to our flows and understand what we're doing. Um, so personalization, I'm all about with LinkedIn. I think that if you can make it a personal note, a connection um, and be respectful. If someone says no, be respectful of that. But I, I don't mind if I say no to someone, but someone comes back, hey, Mackenzie, I know and understand and respect that you've said no in the past, but my team put together a Black Friday, Cyber Monday playbook, and I thought I'd just share it with you. Um, feel free to use it if you'd like. If you have any questions, let me know. Those types of things where you have a value add and you're trying to bring value to me are things that will stand out to me. Yep. Yeah, do your research, people. Uh, yeah, listen to the marketing stir, and Mackenzie's telling you what type of marketing she does. So listen to that. So my second part of that, just in general, because I, I always like to understand people's pet peeves in some way. What's a marketing pet peeve of yours? That that's LinkedIn specific, but a marketing mm. pet peeve where you're just like, really? So I'll tell you while you're thinking, I'll tell you some. Question. I'll tell you some of some people's were saying, "Well, I already bought a product, but you keep following me around." That's that's one, uh -huh. right? Uh, you know, with the same product I just bought. That that's one that people that people have. Uh, I like uh, I like a personal touch to my marketing. Uh, that's yeah. sort of my my pet peeve. So those are some that you know. That's one of mine, and that was some that were mentioned before. But mm. a marketing pet peeve is it a product you don't 
you know, you just like, really? Why would I be a personal pet peeve or a personal pet peeve? You know, a personal pet peeve. Well, I'm just trying to figure, I'm just trying to think like, what is like one um, either that we frequently get from customers or one that I personally have. Um, I think I have a pet peeve when people, um, yeah, like what you said, that when people have purchased your product and then they get mad at you for like, they see a retargeting ad or something like that. And it's like, well, you like, it's, it's obviously working. Like what we're doing is working. And so I'm like, just understand, I, maybe I just need to tell everyone to watch uh, The Social Dilemma. I think that's the new, the new documentary on that. You're just getting trashed. Like if you are, sorry, I'm going to sneeze. Oh, it just left me. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry about that. If you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, like they have your data. Like sometimes I, I get frustrated with like the obliviousness of people. Like we've had people like, how did you get my information? And I'm like, well, because you signed up to our email list. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got the proof right here that you signed up, that you, you know, somehow opted into our email list. Like I didn't just randomly find your email online and like add you to my list. Yeah. Like I don't have the time to do that for people. So I think those are some of my pet peeves when people mm-hmm. just don't understand, but you can't under- expect everyone to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with me, like, I, I like when, you know, th- there's, there's some brands that have been online that have targeted me. Well, I like the targeting aspect of it. It's just like if to, you know, maybe four days later, I already bought that sort of thing, you know, yeah, uh, totally. that's for me. I've met I've so many brands uh, like Todd Snyder, I didn't know who they were, but they targeted me with like these cool sweatshirts and I own like seven of them now, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's brands I never heard of before that, that, uh, you know, I didn't opt into their email list, but I fit their criteria. I'm glad they reached out to me or else I would have yeah, never totally. known who they were. Well, and I it's, think uh, that's the thing yeah. is trying to bring value to people and understanding the mm-hmm. funnel and when the best opportunities to be marketing towards people. Exactly. And, exactly. and making it feel like you said personal and like an actual connection so that you, um, it doesn't feel like they're just getting spam. Yeah, exactly right. That was my, that was my rant there, AJ. I love, uh, uh, I, you know. <laughs> I know. I, I didn't realize you were so gullible. I'll send you some ads myself. <laughs> Oh. I, 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 hey, I'm, and I'm loyal. I respond and I'm loyal. It all depends if it's, it's geared that. towards me. That's the customers that people like me love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Mackenzie, on a personal note, since we're coming to an end here, uh, you know, what have you been up to in the quarantine? What are some of your hobbies outside of work? I'm sure you work all the time right now too. So. Oh my gosh. I feel like 2020 has just like wrecked me and my personal goals. <laughs> I was looking at our fridge today and my husband and I had written down goals together, things that we wanted to do. And I'm like, well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> I was in such a good rhythm with like working out and like eating healthy and then quarantine happened and I don't have my regular babysitter coming over and my husband are juggling the kids together and I just have not I've gotten so out of whack but I think the biggest thing for me is I just love the opportunity it's given my husband and I to connect with our daughters and really just kind of showed us that like when everything else in the world is blowing up and things are going crazy when it all comes down to it family is what matters the most and our girls should always be our top priority and that everything else can kind of fall by the wayside. But when, you know, when the world's spinning and there's just chaos, that's what's truly important to us. So it's been fun to just spend time with each other and just kind of not have to worry about other things. It's a slower quarantine has 
um, brought a slower pace of life, I think, for a lot of people. And there's definitely been chaos, but I will, I will forever be grateful for kind of just the slower um, moments that we've spent together as a family. This has been great. Mackenzie Bauer, thank you so much for joining us on The Marketing Stir. Be sure to check out Thread Wallets. You know, they have some amazing products, great price points. So check them out, please. That's Mackenzie Bauer, the CMO and co-founder of Thread Wallets. I, of course, am Vincent Petri, Vice President of B2B Products here at Strista. That's my CEO, Mr. AJ Gupta, and this has been The Marketing Stir. Thank you. Keep listening. Like us. Subscribe. We love you. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.